This is Tea on the Hudson, a news and lifestyle podcast where we're spilling all of the Hudson County tea and more. My name is Jen Tripuka. I'm the founder of HobokenGirl.com and a Hudson County resident. On this show, we share news, lifestyle topics of interest, interviews, and have guest Hoboken Girl contributors on to delve into the things that matter to local residents. With all that is going on surrounding COVID-19, this episode is a special early release because we want to get you the latest. We'll be altering the format of Tea on the Hudson for the next few weeks, only sharing news and relevant info or interviews that are needed. I'm recording from my apartment that I haven't left in 10 days, so please bear with our audio changes as we're working with limited resources remotely and the occasional dog bark. This episode, we have Dr. Forazesh on. She's an infectious disease doctor living in Hoboken, answering all of our reader questions regarding timeline, food delivery safety, pregnancy, and COVID-19, immunity, reinfection, and more. We'll also share the news quickly and, of course, keep you up to date. If you want to listen to this episode easily at home, you can do so on your OK Google or Alexa by saying, Alexa, play the latest episode of the podcast, Tea on the Hudson, or just find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to rate and review us and share with friends as the more that you share really helps us spread the word. To help local businesses at this difficult time in our community, I am giving away a $500 gift card to 10 readers in the form of $50 gift cards on our Hoboken Girl Instagram this week. We're looking for others interested in doing the same in the coming weeks. So if you would like to participate and support our local economy, please email me directly, jen at hobokengirl.com. For our tea today, I am drinking a lemon ginger tea tonic right now to boost that immunity. Just boil some water, peel and cut up some ginger and squeeze half a lemon. And of course, add your favorite tea plus a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. Since everything is changing so rapidly with COVID-19 and coronavirus updates, you can find daily updates on all things coronavirus on HobokenGirl.com. We are adding updates for both Hoboken and Jersey City to a running article that's on our homepage each and every day to keep you in the loop. Visit HobokenGirl.com to read the latest on our homepage. We are also taking guest contributors at this time. If you have anything you're interested in contributing to our site, please email hello at hobokengirl.com with your pitches and ideas. Our guest topics have been ranging from local experts sharing their tips and tricks to personal stories and so much more. So please get in touch with us. Hello at hobokengirl.com. Hoboken Girl has shifted from a weekly in-person events guide to a virtual one for the first time ever, and we had over 20 events in our guide this past week. If you have an event that you're hosting online or virtually, please email it to us, events at hobokengirl.com. Hoboken now has a coronavirus testing facility uptown, but there's a bit of a catch. The facility is run by Riverside Medical Group, who is also responsible for the Secaucus testing facility. The unfortunate part is that they're only accepting their own patients who are symptomatic to be approved for testing as of Sunday, the time that this was recorded. 
For our special feature this episode, we have infectious disease doctor, Dr. Furzesh, on to answer our COVID-19 questions. Dr. F. is a graduate of SUNY Medical University in Syracuse and completed her Infectious Disease Fellowship at New York Medical College. She's been a resident of Hoboken since 2012 and started her own infectious disease practice in Hoboken in 2013. She also sees consultations at both the Hoboken Hospital and Palisade Hospitals. She's here today to answer our reader and listener COVID-19 questions during this very stressful time to hopefully provide some more clarity on some unknowns. Hi, Dr. Furzesh. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so obviously we are in the middle of a huge pandemic and crisis in our country and our world. Uh, Before we get into that, just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into this field of infectious disease. Yes. So um, basically, I'm an infectious disease physician um, based here in Hoboken. Um, The reason I got into infectious disease, quite honestly, is because during my residency, during my internal medicine residency, Um, I believe the most interesting cases that we saw were infectious disease cases. Um, It's a little bit like being a detective and solving a puzzle, so that really intrigued me. So after I finished my residency, I decided to pursue a career in infectious diseases, and I completed my fellowship at New York Medical College at Valhalla, New York, and that's how it all began. And then you moved to Hoboken and you have a practice here in town? Yes, I moved to Hoboken towards beginning of 2012 and I started my own practice in 2013. Well, since we have a lot to discuss, I'm going to get right into it. We asked our readers, we pulled them on Instagram, and they have a lot of questions for you. So I'm just going to start asking you questions that are from me, from our team, and from our readers. And you know, please feel free to answer them as best you can. I know, obviously, this information and everything going on is changing day to day. Is there a time frame for how this will all come together and hopefully peak and end? Um, Jen, I don't think anybody really knows the exact time frame, to be quite honest with you. Um, honestly, I think uh, within the next two weeks or three weeks, this is just based on my own assumption, we're going to see more and more cases just because more and more testing is being done. So undoubtedly, the number of cases is going to go higher and higher. Um, And I would say right now we're about two, three weeks uh, behind on, let's say, Italy, Iran and the rest of the countries uh, that have been hit really hard. So that's why I'm saying probably within the next two or three weeks, that's where we're going to see the most number of cases, if I had to guess. Um, based on my own, you know, uh, assumption from what I see and all the reports that are coming from uh, around the world. Um, As to how long this will continue, that's the million dollar question. The reason we keep saying flatten the curve, flatten the curve is because we like to hopefully get to a point where we're not going to see any new cases. So um, that's why we keep encouraging people to stay home, stay home and social distance so that we can flatten this curve so that the medical professionals can actually do what they're needed to do uh, and hopefully help come up with a solution to this pandemic. And when you say behind Italy and the other countries, do you mean that we are 
not responding as quickly as other countries? Or do you mean that we are just behind in the time frame of where they were two or three weeks ago? Behind in the time frame, um, just because, uh, you know, because of our location, obviously, we're further away. And this thing did come from the east. That's where it originated. Uh, we are behind. So I that's why I'm saying probably in about two weeks, we're going to see the numbers that they're seeing. As far as testing, uh, initially, obviously, we didn't have a lot of access to performing the test and doing as much test that needed to be done. But I think within the next week, that's going to change drastically. Uh, as more and more testing and quicker testing kits are being available. Let's talk about symptoms. Mm -hmm. What are the symptoms specifically that we should be concerned about and monitor? I've heard, you know, cough, fever, possibly nausea, but really the lung part is the biggest thing. Can you describe a little bit more what people really should be looking out for? Sure, absolutely. Um, So right now, the most common symptoms of this virus are dry cough, and fever. Um, now, some people do get muscle aches, myalgias, fatigue, so it can present somewhat similar to flu, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion lies because you don't know how to differentiate it necessarily. Um, but one biggest thing with this is that a lot of people do experience shortness of breath. Um, what I've heard from some of the patients is they feel like something is sitting on their chest. It's a different kind of chest pain than, let's say, if it was your heart. It's almost like I can't catch my breath. Um, or if they move, let's say, from one room to the next, they get short of breath. And this is healthy people, people that have not had any you know, comorbidities or underlying medical conditions. So that's the part that really stands out compared to flu or cold or other uh, respiratory illnesses. And are there mild symptoms versus asymptomatic or full-blown? Can you have just something that feels like a cold for testing positive? Or is it really you're either walking around asymptomatic or you're really sick? Many people are asymptomatic. So they are walking around completely asymptomatic. And that's the scary part because you don't know who can spread it to you. Um, initially, we thought, um, yes, it's only going to be the symptomatic patients that can spread and shed the virus. But as we're learning more and more about this virus, basically on a daily basis, the information is changing. Now we know that asymptomatic shedding is also possible. So that's why it's become imperative, you know, to do social distancing and, you know, staying at home, self-quarantining and all these measures that, you know, the local authorities are, you know, taking to protect people from getting exposed because right now we know asymptomatic exposure is also possible. As far as the symptoms, yes, they can be mild versus severe. I mean, we've seen the whole spectrum. Mild symptoms, again, would be, you know, you would have uh, fever. Fever is definitely a main uh, presentation with this virus. Um, And you can have uh, fatigue. A lot of people experience fatigue. They have no energy and the dry cough. Um, Now, there's some reports coming out that they could be some gastrointestinal symptoms, um, including diarrhea, stomach cramps, but those are much less common than the respiratory symptoms. Let's talk precautions. What precautions can we take? I know listening to the government, staying indoors, are there any other precautions that people have found to be helpful? Obviously, washing our hands. Anything that you can suggest? Yes, 
I mean, obviously, I'm going to reiterate everything that you probably know, uh, you know, very well by this point, washing your hands very often. So meaning if let's say you touch your doorknob, you touch your uh, phone, you touch your TV screen or laptop, immediately go and wash your hand with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Make sure you go under the nail beds. That's really, really important. Um, if you happen to be outside and you don't have access to, you know, soap, then use a hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. These are all little measures that we can take, and they may sound silly and not so important, but they're the most important. Um, disinfecting countertops, you know, your um, phone screen, uh, handles of the doors, um, any of those things is really, really important and often. Um, take your shoes off as soon as you get home. Um, I actually tell people, you know, wear gloves and take a, you know, paper towel and spray some Lysol and make sure you clean the bottom of your shoes, even though you take them off and then discard that in a closed bin. If you're coughing, make sure you cover your cough in a tissue and discard it in a closed bin. Um, immediately get rid of it. Um, stay away from anyone that you think might be sick. Um, if you can work from home and you have access to, you know, all the telework you know, stuff, technology that's available to us, make advantage of that and do that. Um, and try to stay away. This is my number one advice right now. Try to stay away from elderly because they're more predisposed, you know, to getting complications from this virus. So even though we love to visit our parents, for myself, I can speak, you know, and I'm very close with them. I'm staying away because I don't want to put them at jeopardy. Another question from a reader. If you don't get it, in this, during this time? Are you susceptible to it for the future? Can you build immunity? How does that work? Okay, so that's a great, great question. Um, there's a lot of research being done right now uh, because quite honestly, we don't know. Um, the reason we don't know because it is a novel virus. The reason we say novel coronavirus because it's new. So it, it's a new kind of coronavirus. Now, talking a little bit, going back, um, talking a little bit about coronavirus, they've been around. It's not a new virus. Um, SARS, MERS, all of those were actually coronaviruses. However, this new one is a new mutation. So it's a new virus and no one has immunity to it. And that's why we're in this pandemic, because everybody that comes into contact with it is getting it. And hence the numbers that we're seeing. Now, nobody knows that once you've gotten it, can you get reinfected? I think that's probably what your question is alluding to. Medically speaking, I would assume no, if it's the same exact virus, because you should be able to produce antibodies and hence immunity to it. But if the virus mutates, can you get reinfected? That can be possible. Um, now, there's two reports that came out, I believe one from China, one from Japan, of two people that were tested about three weeks uh, prior to the second test, which was positive. And then they felt better and then they were you know, discharged. They had a second test and it was positive. And people got concerned, okay, were they reinfected and how can that be so quickly? Um, and the medical community does not believe that that's a reinfection just because it's too close of a time period for three weeks. It could be that they never resolved their first infection in the first place. Um, so we're hoping that once you do get this virus, that you do build immunity to it. But we don't have enough information at this point because it's so new and it's new information coming basically daily um, to know the exact answer to that question. 
How does this virus, because I know there's conflicting or just lots of different types of information out there, but how does this virus truly spread? Is it airborne, droplet? I mean, are, are people going to be getting it if they walk near someone on the street? How quickly is this spreading? Well, it's thought to be droplet. Um, That's why we're saying, you know, uh, make sure you cover your sneeze and your cough and things of that nature, because those are uh, respiratory droplets. Um, So, and that's why when somebody that we suspect might have this, we put on droplet precautions. Now, it's still evolving. Okay, so this is the best we know right now as of this minute. Uh, If you walk next to someone, so the whole thing depends on distance, right? If you're about six feet away, you should be okay. That's why the CDC keeps recommending to keep your distance at least six feet. Um, However, let's say if somebody's coughing and that cough happens to land on the surface and you happen to touch that surface and then touch your eye or mouth, yes, potentially you can get the infection that way. Is that the most common way of this spreading? No, the most common way is really person to person at this point. And again, right now it's through respiratory droplets. That's the best we know. Um, Like I said, there's some reports coming that there is um, gastrointestinal symptoms, meaning diarrhea and things of that nature. So that makes me a little bit uneasy because that could Uh, potentially mean that there could be fecal oral spread as well, um, which definitely would put a lot lot more of us uh, at risk. But right now, the consensus is that for now, it's a respiratory droplet transmission. We have another reader question. Will a flu shot help protect me at all? I think I know the answer to this, but just wanted to hear it from an expert. Well, the flu shot won't help protect you against COVID-19, but it will help you against the flu. And the reason we recommend that is because you don't want to have two respiratory pathogens affecting you at the same time, right? Mm. So that's going to be double whammy. So that's why we keep encouraging people that if you have not had your flu vaccine, even now it's still not too late because the flu season goes to pretty much mid-May. So, and in the midst of all of this, uh, problems that we're having with COVID-19, you try, you want to try to minimize any other infections um, that you can prevent. Can you catch the virus from someone handing you something? For example, delivery. Can you go into a little bit of food delivery is safe? We have a lot of reader questions for that. Yes. And again, that's a good question, especially I, I know in Hoboken, a lot of people, you know, uh, rely on that service. Um, so the answer really depends on the person handling the food and the person that's delivering the food, quite honestly. So let's say if that particular person happens to be sick and they're not wearing gloves and they're handling that food that's being delivered, yes, there's potentially, you know, cause for concern. Is that very likely? Probably not. I mean, I would hope that most people are very cautious, you know, and they're taking all the measures, everything, you know, that all the local authorities are advising and they're doing all that by disinfecting everything, washing their hands, um, making sure if they're sick that they're not handling any food. I mean, that would be the number one concern. Who's preparing your food, right? You want to make sure that person isn't sick. Um, So those would be the things I would be most concerned with. But other than that, I don't think it should be an issue. Um, You know, and also people can order their food and go pick it up themselves. That's another thing. I mean, certainly in Hoboken, it's a mile square. We can do that. Um, And those would be some of the things I would advise. And me for myself, I can tell you, um, I'm trying to 
cook mostly at home, honestly, because you know what you're putting in your mouth and right. your system and who's making yes. it. I mean, I'm all for supporting local business. Absolutely. Especially in this very difficult time. Um, but you have to be careful. I mean, you know, this is evolving and what, you know, something that I'm saying currently may not even hold true by tomorrow because it's constantly evolving. It's a very fluid situation. So you just have to use, you know, a caution and, um, use your judgment along those lines. Are there objects to avoid touching or to be wary of? Any surface, honestly, any hard surface, uh, whether it's a countertop, a doorknob, um, screens of your phone or laptop or computer, car doors, you know, when you go to the store, you know, making sure that you don't touch the doors there or as soon as you touch it, you go wash your hands. At this moment, because we know it can live on surfaces, especially plastic and stainless steel, I would say be very cautious. Um, if you have access to, you know, those disposable gloves, wear them when you're going um, shopping or outside and you know you're going to be touching surfaces. If you don't have access, just constantly wash your hands with soap and water as soon as you touch anything. And one thing I want to add to that, actually, is because so many people are washing their hands much more often than they're used to. There's reports of a lot of um, dermatitis coming out, a lot of people getting oh, wow. you know, very sensitive skin. Yes. So I would also advise to make sure you have a good um, hand cream. Um, that you're constantly using as well, because you don't want to get breaks in your skin, which would introduce then bacteria going into your skin. So that's something you want to make sure you're aware of. When you are talking about gloves, are there different gloves that are more effective? There's plastic, there's little little ones, there's rubber. I'm sure rubber and hospital grade are best, but if someone doesn't have access to that, how can they protect themselves? I mean, if they don't have access to that, if they have any little gloves, I mean, obviously the weather is starting to get warmer, so you can't wear winter gloves necessarily, but any But you gloves, could if you needed to. If you needed to, yes, you could. It's better mm -hmm. than actually your skin coming into contact with something, absolutely. But if you can have access you know, to the plastic gloves, the rubber gloves, um, that would be the best because you can dispose of it. You know, you don't want to keep obviously reusing the same thing because let's say if you're wearing a glove, like the winter gloves or any gloves that, you know, you normally wear, um, you would want to make sure you disinfect them. And that's hard to do. I mean, you can't necessarily put bleach on your gloves. You're going to destroy the gloves. That's why I'm saying if you can get your hands on the disposable gloves, that would be the best thing. And if you can't do it, just constantly wash your hands. That's the best defense we have at this point. We have another question from a reader, actually. If someone in my building has it, what are the chances that I'll get it? Um, so again, it's going to go back to the same uh, distance uh, question. So if somebody, let's say, is on the other side of your building and they're sick, I mean, you're, the chances of you living on the complete opposite side of the building, getting it is very rare, especially if you have no contact with each other. The best advice I can give is, uh, you know, for people that live in apartment buildings, such as myself, um, is to practice social distancing, even on elevator. So be very mindful. If you see the elevators full, don't get on that elevator. It doesn't hurt to wait a little bit longer and catch the next one. Um, if it's only two people in the elevator, then, you know, make sure that you're not like facing each other, have your kind of backs to each other. Um, I mean, some of these things sound so silly and, you know, not normal reactions that we would normally have, but these are not normal times and we have to protect um, one another. What are the earliest that symptoms could appear? 
So the incubation period of this virus is about two weeks. That's what we're, you know, told by CDC, World Health Organization at this point. Um, you Usually the peak is about five to seven days, um, average being five. Um, you can shed the virus about one to two days prior to getting your symptoms, but it is believed the most contagious time is uh, when you have the most symptoms. So usually that being within the first uh, five days, five to seven days. We have a lot of readers that are concerned because they're pregnant and they want to know about what that means for both themselves and their unborn child, uh, as well as the prognosis for after the child is born, how that's going to affect just being a new mom and things like that. Is there anything you can speak to that type of concern? Sure. Um, And that's a great question. Um, I'm not an OBGYN, so by no means am I an expert in pregnancy. However, I can tell you that whenever you're pregnant, you're more susceptible to any viral respiratory infection, whether that's COVID-19, flu, um, et cetera, just because um, the body goes through both immunologic and physiological changes during pregnancy. Um, And that's why we always tell, you know, pregnant patients to be more careful. That's why it's so highly recommended that they get vaccinated against the flu because you want to make sure they don't get the flu because they would have more symptoms and more complications from that. So that goes with any viral illness during pregnancy. As of now, there's no reports of in utero transmission, meaning uh, that the mother can pass the infection to the unborn baby. Um, However, you want to try to minimize that risk as much as possible just because it's the great unknown. More likely than not would be probably if the mother had it and then the baby that's born already would be exposed to anyone in close contact that would have COVID-19. That would be a much higher risk than probably in utero transmission. But again, this is also an evolving field um, and there's not tons of information out there. But the best thing I could tell you is make sure that anyone who's pregnant is super cautious, extra cautious, um, because their immune system is going through changes already with the pregnancy itself. So you want to avoid getting any viral infections at all. The government is saying it's okay to go outside and walk around. But now it feels like, especially with the nice weather over the weekend, everyone's outside. Is this okay? You know, uh, honestly... Uh, it's hard to answer that because you can't also be cooped up in your, you know, tiny apartments at all times, right? That's not good for our mental health, for our emotional health. We need to get some exercise in. Um, I would say probably it would be okay, again, if you're not in close contact. So meaning don't go into, you know, dog play parks, those little dog play parks, because that's close proximity. I would avoid that. But if you're going to go walking by the pier here in Hoboken, if you maintain a safe distance, that should be okay. Um, But again, use judgment. If you see, you know, somebody that's about six feet away from you, they're hacking away, they're coughing, I would move away. I would go to the other side. You know, so these are all little things that we can do. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to change the laws as far as, um, you know, the walking and how much we can do. Um, But for now, uh, you know, they're saying it is okay. So I would have to go with that. But use your judgment, be careful, you know, try to maintain that six feet distance at any time. That would be my best advice. Next question. If I think I have it, what should I do? 
if you think you have it, you're going to call your provider. Okay. The number one, the first thing you want to do is make sure you call your doctor. Don't go to the doctor's office. We keep reiterating that because you don't want to expose the staff and other people to potentially this virus, right? So that's why we're advising everyone, please, please, please call your provider ahead of time. Then they can advise you what to do based on your symptoms, right? So if you say, okay, I just don't feel right. I'm worried. I'm concerned because I know it's growing in the community, then the best advice your doctor most likely is going to give you is to monitor your symptoms, um, check your temperature twice a day, uh, make sure there's no fever, make sure you're not developing a cough, um, and then they'll uh, tell you to stay at home, probably self-quarantine. And if you do develop more you know, symptoms that are consistent with COVID-19, then again, you should contact your doctor and see what they advise you to do. Now, if you have underlying conditions, let's say heart disease, lung disease, such as COPD, asthma, any immunocompromised uh, underlying condition, then they would advise you, you know, differently. If you develop any shortness of breath, any difficulty breathing, then immediately call your doctor and they would probably advise you to do to go to the emergency room. Now, most emergency rooms have a dedicated um, section and they're pretty much having um, different entrance for rule out COVID cases just because you want to protect the rest of the population from getting exposed. Um, so that's why it's important to let them know ahead of time that you're coming so that they can direct you accordingly. Speaking of the risks for who is at risk for coronavirus, are there people who are most at risk for coronavirus? And are there any updates to this research? I've seen some statistics that 40% of people hospitalized in the U.S. are actually young. What is the truth in that? And what, what kind of things can you tell me about that? Um, I can tell you right now, as of now, um, the most at risk people are again elderly. Um, so anyone, you know, over age of 70 is at higher risk. Um, if you have underlying medical conditions, again, uh, if you have any heart disease, specifically congestive heart failure, lung disease, such as um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma, emphysema, any immunocompromised condition, um, that puts you obviously at higher risk. Um, pregnancy also puts you at higher risk because your immune system is just constantly changing during pregnancy. So those would be the ones that are at higher risk. Now, there are a lot of reports coming recently from abroad, um, specifically France, Iran, um, that a lot of younger people are getting hospitalized and having complications. So that's actually new information for us because up until now, you know, it was believed that, you know, people that were younger and didn't have any underlying medical conditions uh, and yet having uh, having a better immune system were able to beat this. And that still holds true. Most people are able to beat this and, you know, overcome this. Um, so it's not like most people are getting really sick and getting all the complications. However, it is changing that uh, young people are not invincible. So that doesn't mean that just because you're young, you're not going to get this and nothing bad is going to happen to you. That no longer holds true. So pretty much everyone needs to be careful. But of course, with any infection, again, not just this, if you have something else another medical conditions that puts you more at risk for having complications from a respiratory illness, then you have to be extra vigilant. What percentage of the population is expected to get it at this point in the U.S.? 
I'm not sure if I know the exact percentage, quite honestly. Um, and I don't think anybody really would know because every day it's changing. So you would have to follow the CDC uh, for more information on that. Another question, speaking to the government's response in our local area, how do you feel about Hoboken, Jersey City, New Jersey, New York's response to everything versus the rest of the country and the world? I think it's actually really, really great what they've done here in Hoboken, Jersey City, and now New York City, because, um, you know, you have to, the best defense we have against this virus, Jen, is containing it, right? And the best way to contain it is by doing exactly what the local authorities are telling us to do, to stay home, to avoid um, traveling, to avoid crowds, to avoid, you know, visiting the elderly. I mean, these are really the best measures that we have. Um, So obviously, you know, it's very difficult that, you know, most businesses are closed and it's an economic burden, not just uh, nationally, but globally. Uh, But you have to protect people's health first. If people are not healthy, we won't have a future as a human race. So I think I'm in complete agreement with everything that's being done because that's the best measure we have. Until there's a medication that's going to actually tackle this and cure this, that's the best uh, defense for this virus. Speaking of medication, what are some of the things coming down the pipeline, if any, that may help end this so we can have a little bit of hope? So number one, obviously, you want to have a vaccine against this, right? That's the most important thing to help prevent future infections. Um, just like any other, uh, you know, respiratory infection, let's say the flu, there's vaccine for it. So that's why um, they're working so hard to have a vaccine that's approved um, and hopefully can be used for next year. Um, that's number one. Um, a lot of different things are being done. A lot of research is being done globally. Um, there is an antiviral medication called remdesivir uh, that is produced actually uh, currently. It's not FDA approved yet. I believe there is some compassionate use of it in Washington state uh, for severe cases, and uh, it has shown uh, some positive results. Uh, but as of yet, it's not in um, mass use. Um, that hopefully will be changed soon. I'm not sure, but that's definitely something that's in the works. And I'm sure many, many other things that are being done that, uh, you know, I'm not aware of and it's not reported yet. But for now, again, I'm going to reiterate the best defense is to avoid exposure to it. And the best way to do that is uh, by staying home if you can uh, and not being out there. Some of the other things that maybe I didn't mention uh, that's really important, actually, is to boost your immune system. Um, Some of the ways you can boost your immune system is to take a vitamin C, 1,000 milligram every morning. Um, Make sure you take vitamin D3. Um, That's also very helpful. Zinc has shown to be effective as well. Um, Make sure you drink lots of water. Um, it's important to get enough sleep at least seven hours every night. And another thing, honestly, that's really important, as important as it is to stay informed, you know, and watch the news and, you know, know everything that you can about this. At some point during the day, I tell this to everyone, you need to kind of tune out, you know, because it's too much. Uh, emotionally, it's too much. Mentally, it's too much. And it's draining. Um, and that leads to stress. And anytime we're stressed, our immune system is compromised. So I would say, you know, have a timeline maybe, you know, during the day that let's say by 7 p.m. I'm not going to watch any more news. I'm not going to read 
every little article and any online information that comes out because you do need to have some downtime, you know, maybe watch a show, watch comedy, do something that takes your mind off of this a little bit because it doesn't serve any purpose to be overwhelmed. Um, sometimes information is just overwhelming as coming from our cell phones, the internet, you know, the phone calls, the news, and it can just be too much. And that's really something that I think is important to have some mental break from this. A little more hope for from you. Once we get through this, is there a chance that it could happen again? When will things return to normal? I know it's hard to tell, right? But is is this something that feels like once in a lifetime? Or is this something that we should be concerned about going forward? I think, uh, you know, that's hard to tell as far as the timeline. I'm hoping, you know, once the curve is flattened, you know, then things will kind of start going back to normal a little bit, if you will, right? Um, but there's no way to know exactly how long this thing will last. I think the most important thing right now is for us to get ahead of this virus. Right now, this virus is ahead of us. It's two steps ahead of us. We're behind. So that's why we're in this situation that you see right now, right? Once we can get ahead of this virus and kind of contain it, things will start to make sense. And then we'll know more about how to avoid future exposures like this. I mean, Surely in the years to come, there are going to be other viruses. There's going to be other mutations. There's no way to know exactly. You know, we had SARS, we had MERS, um, we had Ebola, right? So things are always uh, going to happen. There's always going to be infectious disease, uh, especially viral infectious diseases that come down. Um, but the point is to be ahead of it. So I think one thing that probably this pandemic is teaching the whole world, not just us here in U.S., is to be weary, to be aware, to be prepared, not just wait for things to happen and then we respond. I can tell you from my experience, from what I see um, in a lot of the hospitals, we're, we're not prepared, right? We don't have even enough personal protective equipment just because nobody expected anything like this. You know, we think, okay, these things happen, you know, elsewhere, it's not going to affect us, but that's no longer true. We live in a very cosmopolitan times. There's international travel, people coming, going. So everybody's exposed to everything. Uh, it no longer holds true that, oh, yeah, that won't affect me. That's happening there in the other side of the world. That's not true. Um, we live in a very, you know, unified world at this time. And, you know, we need to be more, uh, you know, aware of things. We need to be more informed and really invest in our health care. Um, I think healthcare is the number one defense, you know, that any country has um, to protect its people. And if we're not well prepared in these kind of situations, then, you know, we're all in trouble, honestly. So that's that's the one important lesson in this is to be better prepared to expect, um, you know, these kinds of situations, you know, that could arise and, you know, protect our people better. How can people help if they have no medical training? Hey, yeah. So that's a good question. Obviously, right now, you know, if you're not in the healthcare field, we're asking everyone, we're pleading, please stay home. That's the way you can help. Because by staying home, you decrease your risk of getting exposed and you decrease the risk of exposing other people. Um, so that's the best way you can help if you're not in the medical field. If you are in the medical field, obviously, 
that's different. Um, as I'm sure you've seen, the governor of New York, the mayor of New York are even asking, you know, retired doctors, retired nurses, you know, if they can in any capacity to help to come back to work, just because there's such a shortage of healthcare providers uh, with this pandemic. Um, there's not enough ICU beds, there's not enough hospitals, quite frankly. And, you know, so the best defense is to, you know, help contain this thing before it gets out of hand. What else can you tell us about coronavirus that would be helpful for people to know or put them at ease? I mean, again, uh, like I said, uh, every day there's new information coming. Uh, some of the things that I can tell you is there is some off-label experimental medications um, that are being used uh, to treat some of the symptoms of people that are, you know, sicker and are hospitalized. And it's shown some positive results. Um, one of the medications is actually anti-malarial medication, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, um, that are being used in combination with Tamiflu uh, and Kaletra, which is actually an anti-HIV medication. And that combination has shown some uh, positive results in helping with the symptoms. Again, I want to reiterate that helps with improving the symptoms, not eradicating the COVID-19 virus itself. Um, so that's also a positive thing. But I do believe that hopefully, I hope within the next few months, hopefully by end of the year, we will have um, antivirals to help tackle this virus. And I'm hoping the virus, uh, the vaccine would be hopefully ready to go by end of the year as well. But, you know, the, the experts out there are saying year, year and a half or so, but I, I don't think there is a timeline that we 100% know by now. But the best defense is, again, to prevent it, boost your immune system, stay at home if you can. Those would be the main things. Well, this was so informative and helpful. And just to lighten the mood a little, what are some of the things that you've gotten at the grocery store in the last uh, week or so just to stock up in your pantry? Oh, for me, uh, like <laughs> I said, I, you know, I've been cooking at home, both me and my husband. So um, basically fish, salmon. Um, chicken. Oh, you can you can find it. It is yes. gone. Yes, salmon. <laughs> salmon. Somehow I was able to find at Trader Joe's. So maybe I left it out. Um, chicken. Chicken is hard to find. I don't know. Everybody's just <laughs> running for chicken. Once chicken. I, I know. <laughs> chicken is hard. Turkey meat. I've been able to find, so that's good. Um, you know, fruits. I've been able to find, so I've been stocking up on orange. You know, tangerines, apple. Um, you know, avocado salad. Those kind of things. Um, you know, I don't like to, honestly, I'm never one to hoard the food, you know, because it's just the two of us. So we only buy, you know, for enough for a week's worth. But obviously with this situation, I think we stocked up and we're good for two weeks to go. Um, but I don't like buying frozen food, you know, even in case of an emergency, just because I, I don't think that's the healthiest option. If I can make my own food, I'd rather do that. Um, so that's what we've been doing. Well, I hope you also got some toilet paper in there because everyone's yes. saying it's yes. gone. <laughs> yes, we do have enough toilet paper, thank God. <laughs> well, thank you so much, A, for being on the podcast and B, for, you know, just I, I more than ever just realize how our healthcare providers are such heroes and so brave in all of this. So we really appreciate you and everyone that is on the front lines dealing with this from healthcare providers to police to 
government officials. It is really, truly moving. And uh, we're, we're so grateful. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jen, for having me. It was a pleasure to speak with you. And, you know, I want to say that we're all in this together and we will prevail together, honestly. And, you know, what I've seen to, you know, during this pandemic, how people come together, how they help each other, the humanity that has been displayed is really amazing and gives us hope that, you know, people are good. You know, people really like to help each other. And that's really wonderful to see. Um, So, you know, let's stay positive. You know, we've beaten other diseases in the past and we will beat this as well. Science will prevail. I believe in science and we just have to have hope. Thank you so much. And where can people find you if they want to get in touch or come to your practice? Oh, sure. Um, So I actually have a website. Um, It's advancedidmedical.com. And there's a lot of information. You know, I write blogs. So there's a lot of information. Actually, my latest blog was about COVID-19. So they can read up on it. And then my office information, my office phone number, everything's there. Um, In this, for the next two weeks, actually till end of this month, um, I did close my office, um, just like many practices have, out of an abundance of caution. However, I'm accessible to all my patients via telephone, and um, hopefully soon I'll have access to telemedicine as well. And I think that's something that you're going to see a lot of practices incorporate just because you want to help protect the patients as much as possible. So that's a technology that a lot of practices are going to be using. Um, I do see obviously a lot of consultations in the hospital as well. So um, that's something that I do do. But if people just want to call me, you know, they have questions, absolutely, they can, you know, call the office and I can speak with them. They can visit the website um, and they can email me as well. Well, thank you again. It was so great to speak with you and we will definitely be in touch soon. Thank you so much, Jen. And in lieu of a hidden gem this week, we encourage you to reach out to any local spot in the area that you love and support them in some way. No matter who you are, the team at Hoboken Girl included, businesses and employees are suffering right now. There's so much going on. So if you have a local acai bowl shop that you love, call them up, get a gift card. If they're still delivering or doing takeout, make an order. Whatever you can do to support local is really, really helpful at this time. And our Hudson hero this week are all of the healthcare workers that are tirelessly working on the front lines for all of us at this really tough time. And that concludes this episode of Tea on the Hudson. Major thanks to Dr. Forzesh for coming on the show, our production team Van Vorst Films, and Mike Soul for our music. And speaking of Van Vorst Films and Mike Soul, both are available for any local projects. So if you need their contact info, please email me at teaonthehudson at gmail.com and I will connect you. We'll be spilling the tea whenever we can in the coming weeks. So make sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. It really, really helps us spread the word and make sure that others get to see and hear our show. You can also get in touch with us by following at Tea on the Hudson on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, email with any questions or ideas for a feature at teaonthehudson at gmail.com. 
We'll see you soon for a new episode and please stay safe and healthy. 